I'd like to welcome again, Dr. E. Michael Jones. Uh, last time he was on my humble Bichu channel was uh, back uh, right after the January 6th um, events. And uh, it's great to have him here. If you're not familiar with uh, Dr. Jones, I'm going to show you his um, book, his where you can get his books at culturewars.com. It's basically www.culturewars.com. Uh, my screen share did not work. <laughs> oh, well, well, we're live. So let me get to it. How are you doing, Dr. Jones? Good, good. Uh, Dr. Jones, I want to ask you about uh, the America First movement. Um, you are familiar with America First. I know you pro uh, uh, you basically consider yourself in some ways American First, uh, but maybe more of the old school way. Um, we know that there's some controversies going on with Nick Fuentes' movement right now, um, but he has led a group of people known as Groypers who more or less identify themselves as Catholics who are kind of against the big gay disco. But at the same time, it seems like very often right wing movements become displaced with egos and eccentric behavior and they spiral out of control. I don't know if you have want to mention anything about the American First Movement to start off with. Well, I met Nick in uh, Chicago when we went into for a talk uh, together, uh, and I thought, well, we'll get together and uh, talk things over. Let's go to a bar, but he was too young; he couldn't get into the bar, so we had to find <laughs> another place to go. So I think this is significant because uh, the you're talking about a guy who has achieved a kind of uh, following, considerable following, as a very young man. Uh, by other young men who I identify with. Now, the pro now, having been young once a long time ago uh, and not being young anymore, I think I understand the problem about being young, uh, which is basically you don't know shit about anything. And I include myself in this, uh, in this equation. The problem is now you've got a platform where you can reach an audience, you can jump in, and you can talk for five hours a day, and you'll have faithful followers there all the time. And if you're talking that length of time, you're going to have to have something to say. And the problem is, what are you going to say? And the, and then you got a problem. Well, you got a political movement here. Well, what's the basis of the political movement? And if you haven't done any research, uh, you're probably going to run into trouble. Uh, because if you don't do research on your own, you're going to be formed by the categories around you rather than basically deciding which categories you're going to follow. And that can be problematic because oftentimes you don't see any alternative. If you just look around you and say, well, that's all there is. And well, that isn't all there is because most of the time in situations like this, and I'm not talking about anyone in particular right now, uh, you don't know the history. And if you don't know the history, you probably don't understand that there was a category that simply got erased from history. And that was America first. There was, uh, this was uh, a huge political movement in the 1930s. It arose out of disillusionment uh, with involvement, America's involvement in World War I. Everyone felt that that war was basically orchestrated by bankers to make money. Uh, uh, that uh, there were uh, stories about how the Jews had gotten America involved. There was conniving behind the scenes. There was blackmail of Woodrow Wilson, all this type of stuff. Uh, but afterwards, after the war was over, there was a huge, what should we call, isolationist movement in America, which I think goes back to the founding uh, of the country, where basically the founding fathers realized you had a great kind of castle here, you've got, got oceans on both sides, you've got an insignificant country to the north, I don't mean to offend the Canadians, but it's a large country with a very small population, poses no threat, uh, Same, much of the same thing to the south, and, and uh, let's just stay here, let's not go looking for dragons to slay abroad, which I think is how, uh, I think it was Ben Franklin who described it, that. let's just stay here at home. Well, this changed as America grew, and it changed as Wall Street became more and more powerful. 
So you have basically two strains developing along parallel tracks. You have Wall Street, which is New York, which is finance, which is international and its orientation because Wall Street's a seaport. And in the Midwest, you have another strain, which is manufacturing. Uh, the, uh, the absence of finance, which we could say in 1910, they did a survey of manufacturing in the United States. And it turns out that 90% of all capital improvement was done financed through profits. So this is bad news for the bankers in New York because it looks as if they're not borrowing money. And whenever people don't borrow money, the bankers get upset. So you have these two parallel tracks running side by side. And the question is, who's going to control America's destiny? That's what, that's what it comes down to. And you've got a large segment in the middle of the country who are saying, we're not going to go into war. We've learned our lesson. A lot of these people are German, German heritage. Uh, I don't want to fight my cousins. Uh, all this type of stuff is emerging at the same time. A kind of anti-nativist uh, feeling uh, in certain segments, uh, a feeling that immigra immigration was a threat. Let's just stay home and so on and so forth. Now, the th this it turns out that it's much more specific than that. It turns out it's basically a battle between uh, New York and Michigan. And when I talk about Michigan, I'm talking about Detroit. Detroit was the home of the Ford Motor Company. It's the center of the manufacturing America. And Henry Ford is obviously the owner and boss of the Ford Motor Company. And he's one of the main isolationists. You have another man uh, by the name of uh, Father Charles Coughlin, a Roman Catholic priest who came from Canada. And he's part of that movement, too. He's also from Michigan. He's from Royal Oak, Michigan, which is a suburb of Detroit. And he's got a radio show. He is a man who now understands how to use a new tech, technology of communication. And he has literally millions, millions of followers in the United States of America. He's got so many people writing him letters that they had to build the post office across from his parish. Post office right there. So they just wheel the stuff across all the letters he would get, like millions of letters. Uh, and you've got the man who was, I just found this out recently. I just gave a talk recently in Lansing, Michigan. Uh, the other man would be uh, Charles Lindbergh, the famous aviator. Uh, I always associate him with either Minnesota, where he grew, where he, his father came from, or St. Louis, which kind of backed his airplane. But he grew up in Detroit uh, as part of a, an, an elite family there. So you have the three, the three powerhouses of America first. Well, what do they want? What do they want? They want to stay out of the war. And you know, Lindbergh was an, an, incre had an incredible hero at this point. He had flown across uh, the Atlantic all by himself, landed in Paris, came back to be a big hero, a classic American hero. You know, daring, uh, tech technologically savvy, you know, knew how to fly an airplane and so on and so forth. And now he comes back and his father's a politician and he's starting to get political ambitions. So he gives a speech and uh, he had the speech all over, but the famous time was, I believe it was 1937 uh, uh, in Des Moines, Iowa. And he talked about, he's filling stadiums at this point, you know, 20, 25,000 people at a shot. And he says, uh, there are three groups that want to get us into the war. There's the Roosevelt administration, there are the British, and there are the Jews. And as soon as he says the word Jew, he touches the third rail of American politics. And they turn against him and he becomes persona non grata, which he has been to this day, okay, because of the power of the Jewish control of the media. Uh, but the, also the other significant thing is that um, uh, the Roosevelt administration lured the Japanese into attacking them. On Pearl Harbor, we now have the the uh, the transcripts of the radio, the transmissions back and forth. They broke the code. They knew the Japanese were doing it, and so they left those soldiers there to die because uh, Roosevelt knew he needed an atrocity. Two thousand people dying uh, to jolt uh, to to basically stop the power of America first and jolt America into the war, and that's what happened. So I happen to know uh, one of the people who was involved. I knew Henry Regnery, the publisher. And his father was the treasurer for America First. 
and he was in Chicago. And Henry told me that the day after Pearl Harbor was attacked, or the day after December 8, 1941, the FBI showed up at his door and demanded the mailing list for America First. It killed the organization. This your, your organization is your mailing list at this time. That's the only way you can communicate with people. And they took the mailing list, and that killed that organization. It also set up what I'm starting to see as the paradigm ever since. The FBI is our secret police, uh, basically. Uh, it's uh, like the Stasi in, uh, in East KGB. Germany, KGB, uh, whatever you want to call it. Right. Uh, it's basically there to keep Americans under control. And they say they're fighting crimes, but then again, they get to determine who's the criminal, right? So sometimes you maybe be called a criminal and you're not, and sometimes you're a criminal and they say you're not a criminal. And one well, of the crucial, go ahead. Well, I was just going to talk about COINTELPRO, if, uh, if I may interrupt you for a second. Um, so essentially, you're, you're talking about the American First Movement. They got the list. They got everybody's information. They know who to mess with. Um Many years ago, when I was young and stupid, uh, uh, I'm just not young anymore. But anyway, um, I was involved in in the 1990s in William Pierce's National Alliance, which was a big mistake. Um, the National Alliance and those sorts of organizations were peppered with people such as Hal Turner. Uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Hal Turner. But Hal Turner used to be a person who was designated to call in on the Sean Hannity show. And, you know, how those show call-in shows work. Right. They have people right. to go to. Mr. Sean Hannity um, had this guy named Hal Turner who was showing up at very things like the National Alliance meetings and so forth. And um, he was brought up for trial. And at that point, he said, hey, I'm an FBI agent. Right. It was revealed. Right. Um, that was in the 90s. So um, that, that's exactly I, that's the pattern that I, that I want to talk about here. Right. That's exactly the pattern that has happened in Michigan over this period of time. So, you know, we're all big, one big happy family. We're all Americans. You all pledge allegiance. One nation undivided. That's, that's not true. That's not true. This country has always been a group of people at war with another group of people and trying to disguise the whole thing as if we're all one big happy family. And at this point, the big conflict was between uh, the feds and, and Michigan. Uh, the feds and America first. The feds were controlled by uh, J. Edgar Hoover. He was on board with the uh, internationalist crowd, and that was that. And so what you had here was basically a battle over the mind of the feds. Who are they going to say is a criminal? And at this point, as I indicated, the Jews got involved. So there's an agent, FBI agent in Cincinnati. Cincinnati is a German city, in case you didn't know it. It was traditionally a German city. There's a neighborhood called Over the Rhine, there, which is a beautiful neighborhood. It still is. Uh, anyway, so uh, he gets uh, calls that this is a group of Nazis. So he looks into the group, and it turns out it's German women who were reading uh, papal encyclicals, German Catholic women. Well, who put them on? What well, was the, the Jews? The Jews were the informers here. They put them onto that, and the, the FBI agent wrote back to Hoover and said, look, these are a group of people who want us to take care of their enemies for them. These people are not our enemies. They're their enemies, and we're uh, not part of that operation. So I suggest that you ignore everything that they say. Well, Hoover did not do that because Hoover was playing his own game. And so you have here the, basically the question of, uh, can you capture the FBI? And the answer is, yes, you can. And the FBI can be used as a weapon to basically suppress dissident behavior. And that's exactly what they did with America first, right after Pearl Harbor. And I'm saying it's continued all the way up to this day. All the way up to this day, there has been a kind of campaign against Michigan. Okay? Now, let's just jump ahead. No, let's not, let's not jump ahead. Let's not jump ahead. Because what happened after this point was you, you had to come up with an alternative to America first. Because we don't want people thinking that way. 
that was a grassroots American conservative movement that represented the interests of the people of the Midwest who were, made this country the great manufacturing power that it was. That's a significant group of people. It, it has nothing to do with race, okay? It's, it's basically ethnic groups coming over here and being incorporated into family life, into industrial life by people like Henry Ford. Well, they had to come up with an alternative, and that man I mentioned, the publisher, Henry Regnery, was the man who did it. And you're talking about after World War II, there is a new movement, and this new movement is called conservatism. Conservatism. And Henry Regnery, the publisher, publishes two of the most significant books that are kind of the Bibles of conservatism. One is God and Man at Yale by William F. Buckley, and one is uh, The Conservative Mind by uh, Russell Kirk. Russell Kirk was a Michigan guy. Buckley was a, uh, a Yale graduate uh, from New York City who also happened to work for the CIA. So you, there's the setup right there. You got the same conflict right now at the heart of conservatism, even though conservatism is supposed to paper over this whole thing. So this is all, the books come out, I think, in 1954. Uh, 54 is also the year that the CIA is involved, uh, not in promoting uh, cultural fronts. The Congress of Cultural Freedom, we found out later that was a CIA front, uh, promoting abstract expressionism and magazines. And I asked, uh, I've always suspected, I asked Joe Sober about this, was National Front, a National Review, a CIA operation? I think it was. I, I can't prove it, but I think it was, simply because Buckley was a CIA agent. You don't really retire from that organization. And they were funding magazines at this time. And they always took the party line, which was internationalism, American internationalism, that became the anti-communist crusade. So everything, you know, okay, everything's, Everything's heading in that direction. Uh, you have the Reagan, the Reagan era, the conservatives come in power, and all of this gets suppressed in a sense. And you do have some type of unity, some national unity, because you got wars, and wars always bring about national unity. That's one of the purposes of wars. So you got the World War II, you got the Korean War, and then you got the Vietnam War. And at a certain point, you had this counter movement here. Uh, the protest against the anti-war movement, and that's when my generation starts coming into its own. And you're starting to see a, a counter-movement that is, has nothing to do with America first. We don't have any idea of what it is. Okay? But it, it arises, it becomes a kind of uh, uh, the, the, what we call the hippies. You know what I, mean? I guess the hippies in the 60s were, well, uh, there are some authors who claim that the hippies were sort of a, another cultural creation in themselves as far as getting them all doped up, uh, doping okay. up. The, uh, That's right. This is, this is an absolutely crucial point. And it gets to the, like, to the heart of MK Ultra, Because at this point, uh, you have a man by the name of Aldous Huxley who wrote a book called Brave New World. And it was his vision of the future. And the future was basically, how do you control people and make them love their servitude? And one of the main ways, he says, uh, is drugs. He calls the drug Soma. It's a, it's a mythical drug. And he goes into explaining what, you know, the very, he's hoping that there will be some type of uh, synthetically created drug that will give you the best of both worlds. In other words, you won't get, to, won't have side effects. It'll make you happy and it'll make you docile as well. And, there, and I think that came to the fore as well during the Vietnam War. I think that there are people like uh, Timothy Leary, who was a big figure at this point. I think he was working for the CIA. And I think drugs, sex, sex, drugs, and rock and roll basically were the antidote to the anti-war movement. I think you've written extensively on that in Dionysus Rising. Um, a good author also who some of his works isn't so great, but I always liked Weird Scenes Inside the Canyon by uh, Dave McGowan, who seemed to link um, basically everyone in that Laurel Canyon scene had some sort of military background, if you just scratch the surface right. a little bit. Right. Frank Zappa and all these people, there, there seemed yeah, to be... Jim Morrison, his father was an admiral. 
Right. Jim Morrison is also interesting because he calls his band The Doors based on Huxley's book, The Doors of Perception, which was about LSD. The big band, I think the most important one was Grateful Dead. I think, mm. I think that became a, 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 an LSD distribution point all the way until the time he died. It may still be that. It may, I don't know whether it's still that, but it, one of the main purposes of this band was to spread the, the use of LSD. They had a guy named Owlsley who was a chemist who would make it and distribute it at concerts like that. Now, this is the point. Uh, what do you, the question comes down to, what do you think about drugs? What do you think they are? Are they something they make you feel, that make you feel good? Or are they a tool that other people use to make you feel good and docile so that they can control you? And I think that's the real hidden grammar of drugs. And I think it's the hidden grammar of drug legalization in this country. And I think that's precisely what happened to Michigan. It's exactly what happened to Michigan. It happened to the entire country, but we're focusing on Michigan because Michigan was a hotbed of opposition to uh, Washington and and uh, uh, Wall Street in New York. So you think like the collapse of Detroit was a, a purpose-driven agenda, like Detroit is ruined. Um in Michigan in general, that there was a, it wasn't just that the auto industry caved. Um, it was a, a blight that was somehow planned. I, I wrote a book about that angle. It's called The Slaughter of Cities, Urban Renewal and as Ethnic Cleansing, about the story of who wrecked Detroit. Uh, and I talk about other cities, Philadelphia, Boston, and Chicago in, in the same book. That is called social engineering. So if you want to take this, the big category, it's called social engineering. You could engage in social engineering by changing the environment, which is pretty much what these people did to the cities during this period of time because they broke up the ethnic neighborhoods at this period of time, used the highway system to break up the ethnic neighborhoods. Now, if you read Huxley, who I think is the mastermind of this campaign of social engineering, he talks about social engineering, and he says, but the biggest problem we're facing in the world is overpopulation. Now, this is not new. This is the eugenics movement. He's a firm believer in the eugenics movement. Uh, but if you localize it uh, in the United States, you focus the issue, well, what's the biggest cause of overpopulation? Well, it's the Catholic Church. He says that in his book. This I'm talking about the the, the memoir he wrote 25 years after uh, 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 Brave New World came out. So this appeared in 1958, where it kind of explains the whole thing to you. So he talks about the Catholic Church. Why is the Catholic Church a problem? Well, because they don't approve of birth control. And the fundamental issue for Huxley is overpopulation, which means we have to have people accepting birth control. We have to have birth control because we're all going to die. We're all going to starve to death. Paul Early wrote a book. We're all going to starve to death by 1976. Uh, maybe it happened. Maybe I missed it. Maybe we did all starve to death in 76. I don't know. Maybe I was doing something else at the time. Or maybe it was crazy to begin with. Maybe this idea was crazy to begin with. But it wasn't crazy for Huxley. And Huxley was a very influential figure at this point. And so the focus of this campaign was on the Catholic Church. Now, that is exactly the focus of the urban renewal campaigns in places like Detroit. In other words, Chicago, Philadelphia, Boston. What do they have in common? They had uh, they had ethnic neighborhoods that were very powerful politically. If you think of Mayor Daley in Chicago during this period of time, the, the uh, Democratic Convention in 1968. That was and it had, that had ethnic battle written all over it, and nobody seemed to understand it. There's a uh, a, a uh, clip, a film uh, of the convention, and there's Abraham Ribicoff lecturing Mayor Daly about how he's a Nazi because his police are beating up hippies. And then you cut to Mayor Daly, and you can see it. He's the veins in his neck are bulgy. He says. You fucking cunning. Go back to Connecticut. This is ethnic warfare. Because the real armature of American life is the triple melting pot. It's three 
ethnic groups based on three religions, Protestant, Catholic, and Jew. And at this point, because of people like Huxley, because of the fear of overpopulation, you had the Protestants and the Jews uniting in battle against the Catholics. They were going to destroy Catholic political power, destroy the baby boom, okay? And you do that by attacking the next generation, which would be me, my generation, which came, uh, I was born in 48, so I'm at the, uh, the older end of the baby boom. And so what you do is you go after those Catholic young people. And what do you do? You convince them to uh, smoke dope and have sex. And how do you do that? By getting them to buy records and listen to bands like The Grateful Dead, The Doors. You, you know all the, the, the people I'm talking about. And that was an incredibly destructive, but from their point of view, a successful campaign because it basically blunted, it destroyed Catholic political power in the United States of America. So um, there's shades of um, the current uh, organization that calls itself American First, where they uh, basically they're millennials, people born maybe in the late 90s or early 2000s, very young, and they just can't stand the generation of, uh, before it. They hate it. They see it as, in a way, they're right. They blame it all the problems that we're facing on the Zoomer or the Boomer generation. And uh, th there's this disconnect with, with, uh, with wisdom uh, that you only get from old people. You don't get it because you're young. And what do you know? Um, and this disconnect, it seems to be a little bit misleading uh, right-wing politics at this point. Um, when there's no older statesmen to kind of guide people. Right, right. So so your main problem you have when you're in a political organization is categories. You have to create the correct, have to understand the correct categories because you have to define the enemy. And Sun Tzu said, if you can't define the enemy, you're never going to win. And so the problem here is with terms like boomer. I know it's a cuss word. I know I'm one of them. I know people use it on me on a regular basis. I'm saying if that's your category, you don't know what you're talking about, okay? Because it's a meaningless category, okay? In some sense, it's meaningful, but in most cases, it's meaningless. I'm saying the meaningful categories are the ones I already described, Protestant, Catholic, and Jew. And this is ethnic conflict in this country. What do I mean? What don't I mean by that? I'm saying at the same time that those categories came out in the book, called that by a rabbi uh, from uh, New York who became the religion editor for National Review, Protestant Catholic Jew. Uh, that was the same year as Brown versus School Board, which is the desegregation decision. And at that point, you have a different set of categories. These are the racial categories, black or white. And those are the categories that now dominate discussion right now. Okay, critical race theory, all of this type of stuff, all goes back to Brown versus School Board and the Civil Rights Movement, and which is basically American mythology, the Civil Rights Movement. So if you go to public school, you learn two things. You learn Martin Luther King or Rosa Parks, you don't learn much of anything else. And you learn a sense of grievance if you're black, and you learn a sense of guilt if you're white. But I'm saying this is complete misdirection, and the problem with... Uh, people like Nick Fuentes uh, and the movement, the current America First movement, is an inability to, to, to see through these categories properly. So sometimes he talks about America First, and sometimes he talks about race, sometimes he brings in the Jews, but not in a coherent fashion. And that is going to lead to problems. That's going to lead to problems. Uh, Jared Taylor, I believe, uh, sponsored both Spencer or I don't want to use the word sponsor might be the incorrect word, but um, he had, I'm pretty sure he published, well, I know he published Richard Spencer and Nick Fuentes in his American Renaissance website and articles. And I'm, I know both of them have spoken at the, those conferences that he held. Um, there seems to be a correlation with all that, uh, with, with the three, even though, you know, Spencer and Fuentes are hate each other. Uh, there seems they seem to almost have a even a similar appearance, a similar a similar. Well, they're, they're, 
they're all talking about the racial narrative. And I'm saying that the racial narrative was confected to basically subjugate the American people by dividing it into two irreconcilable camps. And it's imposed after the war. It has nothing, nothing to do with America first before the war. That's ethnic. That's ethnic. That's all the things that I've already described. So you got a guy like, um, and, and I'm saying that, uh, I, I debated Jared Taylor. Uh, and I'm saying basically uh, the big question, the big moment in the debate was Jared are Jews white? Well, Jared Taylor has created an organization where he makes Jews white. Now, why is that an issue? Why is that an issue? Well, then as soon as a Jew becomes white, you can't understand what's going on. The Jew becomes invisible. And the Jew is now one of the most significant players in the culture wars. I mean, you can't understand the culture wars unless you factor in the Jewish contribution. I mean, anywhere, you, you name it. So the most, let me give you the most recent example. The, the letter gets leaked from uh, Justice Alito that they're going to overturn Roe versus Wade. What do the Jews do? They freak out. Uh, the ADL, this is not, I'm not making today, they, yesterday, what is, what is no, Sunday. The Jews assemble in Washington and they say, this is the ADL saying this, uh, reproductive freedom is a fundamental Jewish value. Now, they never said that. Before. Yes, I heard that. They, I've never, they never said that before. They never, never, never said that before. Now, this, so then this lady rabbi from Philadelphia says, if you prevent uh, me from women from getting an abortion, you are preventing me from practicing my religion. Oh, boy. Well, wait a minute. So I jump into this thing and I say, abortion is a Jewish sacrament. And you basically, what Roe versus Wade did was impose the Jewish religion on the entire country of the United States of America. Now, they let, I mean, talk about lobbing one over the plate for me. They are the ones who did this. I have Jews who, uh, you know, uh, tweet back and forth who got really angry at me about this. And I'm saying, well, wait a minute. It's not me. Your argument's with the ADL. We're not, they're not real Jews. Well, wait a minute. You're telling me. You just excommunicated the ADL? They're the big, they're the big powerful Jews. How'd you do that? This is a, a huge crisis because they suddenly emerged as players in the culture wars as Jews. They deliberately stuck their foot in something they should have kept themselves out of. It was like manna from heaven for people like me. I, I tweeted, one of my tweets was, finally, the ADL agrees with E. Michael Jones. <laughs> this, this, this is exactly what they did. But the point here is that they revealed themselves as players in the culture wars by doing that. The fundamental uh, uh, irreconcilable issue of the last half century is abortion. It's never going to be resolved, and they suddenly snuck their foot in it and say it's a Jewish, it's a Jewish uh, value. This is what I'm trying to say. This is precisely what Jared Taylor uh, was trying to avoid by the racial narrative, because the racial narrative are Jews white. Well, they are if they want to be, uh, but then you can have the so you can. Jared has people, Jews that show up. Uh, he won't let certain people talk. He never lets David Duke talk. Uh, and he lets these people come in, and then you got these guys on your side, and they're all, uh, for, you know, promoting the racial narrative uh, because uh, uh, they want to do this. They want to be involved in every on both sides of the equation, while at the same time, Noel Ignatieff at Harvard, another Jew, is promoting the critical race theory. This is this is what's going on. This is the obfuscation that has been taking place. Uh, this is the problem that you have when you don't make clear distinctions for your political movement. And that's precisely the problem Nick Fuentes uh, ends up having. I'm not, I don't want to criticize him. This is a bigger theoretical issue. I don't want to criticize him personally. Right. Uh, if, if I were 22 years old or whatever he is, you know, I would be struggling too. You know, but I got 50 some years more experience of having looked into the situation. And I'm saying this is going to cause problems. And you want a classic example of a problem? Look at what Richard Spencer did in Charlottesville. Well, they both were at Charlottesville. Um, right. But so Spencer basically, 
So Spencer here is, he's the, supposedly the leader of these guys, these white boys. He hands out spears to the white boys and he says, there's the machine gun nest, charge the machine gun nest and wave your spears. And they all got mowed down, surprise, surprise. And now there's a, a Jewish lawyer who is just trying to destroy them individually by filing uh, lawfare lawsuits against them. Roberta Kaplan. So I'm saying it's time to get clear about what's going on. And if you're not, if you think that America first has something to do with being a white boy, I think you're mistaken. And I think you're going to lead the troops. <laughs> you're going to hand out spears again. You will, this will doom your movement to failure because that's really not what's going on. And by now, white is a code word for people who have no rights. I think just, just to get one back, one more thing about this. What is the legacy of Roe versus Wade? The legacy of Roe versus Wade is basically there are two categories of people. There's the woman who can kill her child with impunity, face no consequences, and there's the fetus who has no rights. And that's basically the way our situation now in this country. You either have privilege or you have no rights. There's no uh, no idea of justice before the law, equality before the law. That has all disappeared. And you have groups, some groups have privilege. If you're Black Lives Matter, you can burn the city down and they'll call a peaceful protest. The other group, if you're uh, Richard Spencer's group, you can have a peaceful protest and they will call you a terrorist and they will throw you, try to throw you in jail. That is precisely the issue, the state we're in right now. I think uh, this would be a good time to show your book, if people are not familiar with this, The Jewish Revolutionary Spirit. This one uh, that I have in my hand is uh, volume three. I haven't read it yet, but I think it should be required reading. I've, I've read uh, most of volume one at this point, and it's very eye-opening. Um, these patterns repeat themselves throughout history. Uh, they're not, they're ancient. Um, and it all goes back to the, um, to, uh, the deicide that was committed. Uh, and the, not only the killing of Christ, but in, in their worldview, they, they would like to kill him again, according to Sarah Silverman. Right. Um, they have this in them. And we're not allowed to talk back uh, to them. And I think you you make a. I've I've heard you in many pod, podcasts talking about the the big Jew stepping on the little Jew. That's it's not the little Jew. They they're just falling in line with what they're told. But the big Jew is in charge. Uh, we look. If I can pivot to Ukraine, I mean, we have a country over there where you have uh, the, the <laughs> everyone is running it is essentially Jewish. But um, I've dated a Ukrainian girl, and these these people, if there's anyone, maybe, I don't know, other than Lithuanians, I don't know anyone who is more hardcore anti-Jewish uh, than maybe Lithuanians uh, that I've encountered, even more so than, you know, Germans. Germans have been ruined after the war. But um, I don't get it. It seems like they want to just completely destroy this country. The Ukraine, the people, and the Russians at the same time. Having them, yeah. yeah. And we have Zelensky running this thing, and it's very obvious, but um, the news has become no one's even questioning it. Like Mariupol, I don't know if you followed the the uh, the evacuation is being the called. Evacuation. The with evacuation. Those, with, with those waving white flags, they're calling it an evacuation. Sounds like a surrender yes. to me. Yes. I mean, the news can't even use the word surrender. What happened to journalism? Um, everything is. Uh, but but you talk about the cunning of reason that uh, that when you live in this upside down reality world, it can only go so far. Um, and eventually logos will rise out of it. Right. That's right. Because God uh, brings evil out of good. And that is the course of human history. Since God is the creator of the universe and the Lord of history, he cannot, he cannot, is incapable of producing anything evil. And anything he comes in contact with will become good uh, by his power. Uh, I've, of, I've often mentioned the, the story of Joseph in the Bible, you know, as the paradigm that God created for us to understand this movement, the way this thing works. You know, he's sold into slavery by his brothers. That's an evil act. But he rises to the top. 
of the, the so-called pyramid, uh, political pyramid in uh, Egypt, and then there's famine in Israel, and the brothers comedy reveals themselves to them. And he says, the evil that you intended to do to me has been turned by God's power into good. That's what history is. And so you have this group of people, uh, the Jews, the people who killed Christ, who are enemies of the entire human race. That's St. Paul, so if you're Christian, you have to profess that. Uh, who murdered, who killed the Logos incarnate. The Logos is the order of the universe. It's the idea of limit, and they don't believe in limits anymore. And so they always, they invariably overplay their hand one way or the other. They always take it too far. I think that's what I just described in the abortion uh, discussion right now. They really overplayed their hand. Another place where they overplayed their hand is the, the Disney the battle between Disney and DeSantis in Florida. Right. You guys overplayed your hand. You know, like, oi, we, we were collecting taxes until you opened <laughs> your mouth about homosexuality. And now you're and now we have to pay taxes. This is terrible. You overplayed your hand. Why didn't you just stick with the goose that laid the golden egg and do what Disney did? Because they're driven by the hatred of Logos. So they have to promote something subversive like homosexuality. And so on and so forth. And the same driving force, uh, they, they took over our foreign policy. Uh, the, the war in Iraq was basically the neoconservatives, which was a Jewish political movement. Uh, they pushed it too far. They destroyed Iraq. And what did they bring about when they destroyed Iraq? They brought about the rise of the Shia militias in Iraq, which were uh, directly related to uh, Iran, and now you had uh, the, the Shia bridge uh, of basically Iran through Iraq, through Syria, to supply Hezbollah with, with weapons. They brought about the exact opposite of what they intended. That's the cunning of reason. I think it's happening now in, in, in lots of different ways. But I think the part, part of what we're talking about, so we're talking about, again, the war against Michigan. It's sex, drugs, and rock and roll. To basically take that Catholic population, the manufacturing, the heart, the working class. Remember the working class? Yes. I don't think, I don't think it exists anymore. I mean, I, I think they in, died in the 1980s with economics. That's right. I think they did. I think it was the Fulker head of the Fed. It was outsourcing. It was leveraged buyouts where they basically bought up these companies and uh, and uh, loaded them down with debt and ran off with the money. Mitt Romney made became a very rich man doing this type of thing. And they destroyed the working class, which is really like killing the goose that laid the golden egg. This was the, the source of wealth. Labor is the source of all value. I love when you say that because uh, my father was a working man. He was a construction uh, worker. Uh, so I've been in a working class environment my entire life. And um, it's like these kids, they're on the computer all day. They don't know how to get their hands dirty. They don't know. Uh, they look down upon that. You know, and um, this is where the the uh, really the root of why we're always importing illegal aliens and legal aliens to that matter is because nobody wants to do anything anymore. And there's a reality to that. Um, That's right. That's right. So, uh, the, anyway. so these guys, uh, guy from Tennessee down there. I don't know what they do in Tennessee. They make moonshine or something like that. I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> he's down there, down there in Tennessee, and he moves the family up to Elkhart, Indiana, and he starts working on RVs, okay, because that's the big RV manufacturer. Now, this is a far cry from automobile manufacturing in Detroit, okay? It's, it's a lower-class option. The pay isn't as good. You don't have that ethnic culture that, really was the backbone of Detroit, an old city. I mean, it was 300 years old, uh, one of the oldest cities in America, Al uh, antedates the United States of America. So we don't have this at Elkhart. We've got something else. And so you start raising children, and now we're talking about the baby boomers being raised in a place like Elkhart, where basically you're an immigrant from Tennessee. It's very similar to the immigrants that from Mississippi that went to Chicago. You went from a kind of repressive, racially based system to a permissive uh, ethnic mosaic there and they went crazy and i've written about this 
as well. I knew people there uh, about what happened to the next generation when dad loses all sense of his moral responsibility. Same thing is happening at Elkhart. The kid uh, is born, he's raising hell as a teenager, and then finally he catches a hold of the, the hippie movement because he starts smoking dope. It's rock and roll, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. That's pretty much the culture. That's the default setting in Elkhart, unless you've got something better, unless you're going to church. And basically, white boys or Protestants don't go to church anymore. So there's a cultural vacuum, and this guy gets this idea, and he starts get the idea. This is a holy cause. I'm going to promote marijuana. I'm going to buy a farm in Michigan. There's plenty of land up there. I'm going to call it Rainbow Farm. I'm going to have concerts. It's going to be. This is an actual story. Okay, this guy does this, and over the course of the '90s, he has more and more people coming, and he's smoking dope. And we're going to legalize marijuana. This is our holy cause. It's like the resurrection of the whole hippie movement until the local prosecutor gets involved. And he says uh, he's got his own problems because there's a law now that says you can forfeit any drug dealer forfeits his property to the prosecutor. So he's got an incentive to come in now and take over the property. Okay. And then it comes to a standoff. And at this point, you have these two strains now of current machine. Okay, you got hippie Michigan, you got dope Michigan, and you got militia Michigan. The dopers, they smoke marijuana, and the militiamen carry guns. And suddenly you have a marriage of these two aspects of Michigan culture, and the dope guy is now carrying a gun. And this is a big story now. This is 2001. It's a big story. It's in I'm South Bend. I'm not far from there. And so the local TV station sends a helicopter to film what's going on on Rainbow Farm. And this guy fires a couple shots at the helicopter, thereby breaking it. It's a federal crime you just committed. At this point, the FBI comes in. Remember the FBI? Right. Okay, this is a Michigan story. And the FBI shows up, and they don't deal with you the way the local cops. Local cops are ready to wait it out. They know who the guy is. They'll figure they'll calm down at a certain point. The state police sort of side. They're kind of halfway between the local cops. But now the FBI comes in, and they're take charge guys. And basically, they suit up in their camo uniform. They go onto his property with sniper rifles, and they uh, they claim, this is the final story, he lowered his rifle and aimed at an FBI agent, and they killed him. Now, we can't ask Tom whether he actually lowered his rifle because he's dead. But what you're seeing here is this movement, okay? This Basically, this is you, nature abhors a vacuum. You can't have the absence of culture. And what you got here was 60s culture. It was dope culture that was created by the, uh, I'm, I'm saying created by the CIA, created by MK Ultra and that crowd to basically destroy the anti-war movement. And now it's taken on a life of its own. And now the cops are going to, uh, the feds are going to take them down. And now you've got war against the, the FBI is at war with the local population. Well, it's funny that you mentioned that. Uh, when I, w- I went to go see uh, Nicholas Fuentes at the, uh, uh, he, they had an American First rally in New York, uh, anti-vax and anti-mask and these sort of, and so I went, filmed it for my uh, channel and there were a lot of people smoking pot there. And I'm not talking about the Antifa. I'm talking about the Christ is King crowd. You know, they were smoking dope while they were chanting it. You know, see, this, this is part of the incoherence of these of these contemporary movements. Right. I mean, this is I mean, if Christ is King. That's Viva Cristo Rey. That's the uh, that's the group in Mexico that stood up to Plutarco Callas, the Cristeros. I was down there. I was at one of their meetings. Everybody says, Viva Cristo Rey at the end of the meeting. That's Catholic. Okay? Okay? Dope is incompatible with that. I'm not I'm not saying that it's a sin to smoke dope. I'm saying that it's they call it dope for a reason, because it makes you stupid. It affects your judgment, which is the antithesis of what you're supposed to be as a Catholic because you believe in Logos. Okay, and Logos is reason, and that's the, what you are by nature. This is going to affect that. 
It affected that guy with Tom. It's going to affect these people. And that's precisely this incoherence that is starting to emerge. Are we talking about black and white? Are we talking about ethnic? Are we talking about America first? Are we talking about conservatism? Are we talking about the Jewish role? It's all mixed up here. And we're going to have to kind of sort this thing out because otherwise it's going to come back to bite us. Us, meaning the people in, in that movement. Well, um, you mentioned um, earlier uh, Dr. Timothy Leary, uh, who's, you know, we all know about his LSD experiments, but one thing that's not really talked about as much with him, because it was sort of boring at the time, but back in the 80s and early 90s, he was talking about virtual realities and computers and um, basically programming through that. He, he was keyed into some of the possibilities. And I think we're seeing the fruit of a little bit of that today because the um, the internet and the uh, the social engineering that is being done via YouTube uh, by the either the canceling or the not canceling of certain people is is terrible. Uh, the propaganda is is up at a level that I don't even know how anyone can untangle it or keep track of it anymore because there's bots, Twitter, and the whole reporting on the Ukraine is nothing but propaganda. It's just nothing. They, they've, they've thrown all pretense to doing journalism to the wind. It's all propaganda. In my, uh, in my town, they put uh, the Ukrainian flag up in the park, uh, wrapped around all these trees. I don't know, maybe hundreds of them, right? Wrapped around all the trees. And uh, this is a public park. This is not private park property, you know? So who's behind that, you know? What state official or local official approves that? You know, we just got out of Afghanistan and these idiots are like, yeah, let's, that 40 billion that we were doing in Afghanistan every year, we have to now repurpose that and put that into the Ukraine for as long as we can. Uh, Crenshaw, he, what did he say the other day? I, oh, we want to give that 40 million uh, over there and let them fight so we don't have to fight. I mean, these people are, are, are scumbags. Um, right. And even the people that we say that are right, like Marjorie Taylor Greene, you know, who um, she showed up at uh, American First and then disavowed because somebody reminded her that uh, Nick Fuentes may have denied the Holocaust. And uh, so she disavowed. But she is she is a pro this Ukrainian war. And she <laughs> she she's. She actually said that AOC <laughs> is responsible for killing Jewish people, and she had the big Israeli star flag. You know, this is the people that we that we uh, the the right wing or conservatives or whatever you want to call people who are against this. These this is our hope. I don't know, Paul 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 Gasser. He's another one. You know, Paul Gasser. Uh, he's another guy who was with American First and disavowed and all this sort of thing, but. Well, what's, what's it mean? Oh, That's the question. What's it mean? Yeah. I but mean, you got, you got so much incoherence. There's so many competing, uh, conflicting statements here that nobody knows what it means. You need some type of coherence and definition about what it is, which you can only derive from some type of historical study of what it was and drawing the principles out of what you learn from history, like the difference between Wall Street and Main Street between manufacturing and finance. Unless you make distinctions like this, you're not gonna know what it means. It'll mean anything. So um, what kind of solutions do you, uh, do you think that people can implement uh, to protect ourselves from this, um, this culture war that, we're, that, we're, that you very aptly uh, named? Um, that we can do like concrete steps that we can do to um, to rise above it and to uh, to not just sit back and relax, you right. know, to sort of stand up and fight. I'm not advocating for violence or anything like that, but we can't just sit it out. We have to do something. What would you recommend? Consciousness. An increase in consciousness. And so I, I got to come to shock. I recommend that everyone read my books because I spent a lot of time thinking this thing through. And I'm trying to come up with a coherent picture 
so people don't make asses out of themselves by by these by this conflating two things that are completely opposite. This is part part of the part of the warfare that we're involved in is uh, creating categories. So the, the the there was a statue battle, the summer of where everybody was dragging down statues. Uh, they were going to destroy the statue in St. Louis, drag down the statue of St. Louis. And that all came down to a category issue. So the guy who was in charge of it saying, these are white supremacists who are standing at the statue. As soon as you say white, as soon as you say white supremacists, these are bad people, they have no rights, and then you win. Okay? So it's identity theft. And I exposed this as identity theft. I debated the guy, and I said, so what are these white supremacists doing? They're praying the rosary. Is that something white supremacists do? No, that's something Catholics do. Oh, so it's basically Catholics here. So it's Catholics versus Muslims. So it's not black versus white. And it turns out the Muslim is basically a proxy warrior for the rabbi, the lady rabbi uh, in, in that uh, synagogue in, in St. Louis. So once you clarify the situation, I think it's easier to deal with. But because they are, there is always going to be this deliberate attempt to obfuscate and confuse you and make you charge off in the wrong direction. That's the duty that we have here. And once you have a coherent understanding, then the political opportunity, you will be able to see it when it arises and you'll be able to capitalize on it. As I did in my small way in St. Louis, because that statue was still standing. That was a, that was a victory. That was a victory. And I think it had to do with basically understanding the real dynamics that are behind this, which I'm saying are ethnic and religious and not racial. So um, any thoughts about uh, the Supreme Court you mentioned? Do you think that um, anyone is going to be charged with leaking uh, the decisions at no. some point? No, I think the late, I think the, I've read an article. I think the lady's name is uh, Elizabeth Deutsch. I think she's the, the uh, clerk for uh, Justice Breyer. She has a history of writing pro-abortion opinions. She's married to a guy who was the best friend of the guy who wrote the article in Politico uh, uh, releasing the, the, the letter. So, but I think she's got privilege. And if you have, if you have Jewish privilege, uh, you are not subject to the same laws as the rest of people. So uh, think of Julian Assange. Uh, there's a guy who leaked something and, and uh, the oligarchs did not like that. And so he has no rights. He can't even come to trial. Uh, it's just a horrendous situation. Uh, that's precisely the situation, this inequality before the law that we have to deal with. We have to put an end to Jewish privilege. It's that simple. It's an old concept, but basically you have a situation now where if you criticize a Jew, you, the ADL will come after you and ruin your life. That's what we're talking about. I mean, forget about anti-Semitism. That, what's that mean? What does that mean? They constantly use this. Uh, as uh, a charge to basically stop the conversation. We're talking about, do certain groups have privileges that put them above criticism? That's the fundamental issue. That's the, that's the legacy of Roe versus Wade. That's what we have to deal with. We have, to, and, and Florida is an example of an elected representative taking on an unelected oligarch who was basically interfering in the educational process of public schools in, in, in Florida. This is, this is going to happen naturally in the wake of Roe versus Wade because that was imperial overreach. They thought they could impose one standard on abortion on the entire nation, and after 50 years, they failed. So now you're going to see the rise of uh, the importance of local government and uh, you're going to see the importance, uh, let's say, of Michigan again. Michigan will become important. Florida is becoming important. That's, that's the consequence because it, they just went too far with the centralizing power of the empire. And now the empire is crumbling and we need to fall back to a more defensible position. And I personally think America first is a, a viable option. I think it was uh, a genuine American conservatism, and I think it still has meaning today. Well, Dr. Jones, um, um, 
I think we've been about an hour. Um, I know you don't like to go more than an hour at this point. Is there anything else you'd like to bring up or discuss uh, before we uh, end our show? Yeah, every crisis is an opportunity. But in order to understand the opportunity, you have to understand what's going on. That's that's. Well, last question, I have is when is your new book coming out, the, the one on art? That's a good art? question. That's a good question. I just got notice from the printer that there's a two-week delay. So it was supposed to be May 25th, and now they're saying there's a two-week delay. It will be out eventually, I guarantee it. So if you stick with culture, go keep going to culturewars.com, or if you get in touch with the channels that I use on the Internet, uh, we will make the announcement when it's available. Thank you, Dr. Jones, for for uh, for showing up here today and uh i'd just like to thank you and keep up the good work and i look forward to uh to getting a copy of that book when it comes out yes and i'd be happy to discuss it with you when it does come out okay great dr jones have a good one you too